This is 10 Questions to Cyber Resilience, brought to you by Assurance IT. Released twice per month, every episode brings you one step closer to cyber resilience by hearing how IT leaders are practicing cybersecurity. Resources mentioned in the episode can be found in the show notes. If you're ready to take your cyber resilience to the next level, be sure to subscribe so you can catch every episode. John, so tell me a little bit about your startup and how the idea came to be. So tell us about you know what you're doing today so our audience can learn about what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely, Luigi. And thanks so much for this opportunity to talk to you on the podcast. Essentially, my base pay, we are an employee of record platform for the staffing and the talent acquisition industry, where we act as a back office provider, the technology platform to be able to efficiently onboard candidates, process the timesheets. One of the biggest advantages is also payroll funding that we provide to the staffing firms. And I can expand on that later as we go along. Essentially, we're less than three years old. We've launched earlier this year. We venture backed. We've had a massive round pre-seed that we raised, 60 million. And we we're on track to process 50 million in revenue so far this year. And it's, you know, most of our clients are here in US, but we're starting to go outside of that market internationally as well. And yeah, you know, it's been an exciting journey for the past couple of years. Fantastic. That's great. Congratulations. You know, it's not always easy getting funding and and that's amazing for you guys. And from what I understand, you are obviously the CIO there, right? So taking on the CIO position for, for a startup, especially, you know, in this industry, can you maybe talk about some of those challenges that you face as a CIO, given the climate, given the environment today with everything that's going on in the industry and in the world, talk about, you know, some of the challenges you may have. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's, you know, it's an ongoing journey and I've been part of, you know, all my life an entrepreneur, I've been in the corporate sector as well as many startups that I've launched, successfully failed, and had that experience on both sides of the equation. Startup, you know, is just something that I truly enjoy the challenge to be able to build something from ground up. The technology is by trade and to have great co-founders with me that are more business oriented, more sales, more marketing. So we complement each other from that perspective and taking on the role kind of as the co-founder and the technology lead for a startup as such in this very niche space was definitely a challenge. And most of the challenges that I've faced is all around the talent, especially in this highly competitive market these days with just the world shifting to a completely virtual environment and hybrid and being able to attract the top talent and retain for startups that adds another layer of complexity because we don't necessarily have that brand that attracts the, you know, the best tech talent at least. So that's been one of the biggest challenges, which it's still a challenge even to this day to be able to build a world-class team. It's something that's at top of my mind as an executive 24 seven, whether I am actively recruiting or not, every single person I talk to is always an opportunity to see, you know, is this a person that can potentially join our team and are we, are we the right fit for them as well? So that's, that's been one of the biggest challenges as the CEO of a startup, but obviously there's a lot of other complexities when it comes to launching the platform fully in the cloud as well in a virtual environment. And I'm excited to talk to you about some of the cybersecurity measures that's, you know, it's an ongoing threat. It's an ongoing risk that we always have to carefully 
measure and look out for and we invest heavily into that so that's you know a, a definitely another challenge that i would highlight as part of kind of that journey of a startup yeah, no, I like what you're saying. And you actually touched upon a question that I was going to come back to later. So I, I might ask it to you now because it, it's kind of in line with what you just mentioned. IT staffing and talent and skill set. That's obviously a challenge that we see in our in our business here. We're obviously in the cybersecurity space, cyber resilience, and you know, we help our customers sometimes even find the individuals, which is obviously a huge challenge. So what's your best advice for dealing with this IT staffing shortage? I mean, you're going through it right now. What would you, you know, give us advice? And talent acquisition for me, it's, it's not the term that I like to use. It's not necessarily you acquire the talent, it's you attract the talent at the end of the day. And it's really also an opportunity for those who may be interested in joining my company in general. Is this the right environment for them? Am I the type of leader that will really help them grow to that next level where they want to be? So it's always the mental model that I have to keep in mind whenever we go through interviews or whenever we go through some of the headhunting exercises. It's really to be able to understand and align our objectives and the, and the priorities for them as a professional and for us as an organization. So that's been working really well in a sense to have those meaningful conversations with the candidates and say, here's where, who we are, here's where we go in as an organization, here's where we want to be, here's our values, here's what we're all about, and give them an opportunity to also speak from their perspective in terms of what are some of the things that make them tick? What are some of the things that they would love to accomplish in near term and longer term? And here's how I can, as a leader, here's how I can help you get to that next level. Obviously, always understanding that you're not going to be probably with us forever. That's right. It goes into the context of, you know, retaining the top talent. Of course, I would love for all of our team members to stay with <laughs> us forever, but that's the reality. You know, everyone needs to grow. Everyone needs to move on. And realizing that and in the process, essentially identifying opportunities for your employees, for your coworkers and peers to be able to capitalize and take on those opportunities, create an environment of, you know, experimentation, innovation. We're really big on that as a culture. One of my favorite books is by my former professor at Harvard Business School is Stefan Tomke's Experimentation Matters and Experimentation Works, where he talks a lot about the models of fostering a culture of innovation through experimentation where everyone is empowered to be able to take on the experiments to be that mini ceo of their project of their you know initiative that they're trying to launch so those i know it's a very loaded answer to your question in a sense our strategies to attract and retain top talent but those are some of the mental models that really helped me succeed kind of in in that space you know what you said there really resonates because i think the fact of being very transparent with the employee in front of you or the potential employee in front of you and finding how you can help that person and articulating that has helped me in the past find or attract talent. Because I think you said it, like finding talent is not the difficult part. It's how do you attract them and how do you retain them? You know, and the talent that is actually going to be a good fit for your business. Sometimes you see something on paper that may look good. And then when you bring them in, start having that conversation, you realize that you cannot help them. And that, that becomes a problem because then you can't retain them. And so I like that answer. And also to your comment about the book there, I'd like to, maybe we can share that in the comments once we publish this, but that's, it sounds like a really interesting book. Yeah, so I'll, I'll definitely ask you for that. So that's a good answer. Thank you. It's really in depth. It's interesting. Definitely going to use that, the, some of those techniques and some of those thoughts, the thought processes when we're looking or trying to attract talent. So I appreciate that. Let's move on to kind of the, the next step, which, or the next topic here, which is going to be talking around security and cyber resilience. So 
Cyber resilience is a term that we're hearing more and more often in our industry. When you hear that term, what does it mean to you? And that's a, that's a great term. And I love just the overall sound of that. We are resilient overall from a technology perspective, you know, and another layer of complexity from the cybersecurity standpoint, because it's an ongoing threat and those, those threats are becoming a lot more complex in nature to be able to detect and react to that, which leads me to the point of reacting. It's essentially cyber resilience for me, it starts with people, with people at the organization. And it's part of that cultural definition in terms of are we all aligned in terms of the vision as an organization and to be able to essentially proactively identify those potential risks and technology is always going to be there. Technology will always help identify those potential risks from a software perspective and things like that. But at the end of the day, it's all on the actual users. It's all on the employees and the people who use the system to be able to have that alignment in the sense that here's some of the things that we don't want to happen to our organization when it comes to potential risks and threats and identify those procedures, those policies, and being able to have that ongoing training as well and to show examples of some of the things that are potential threats. To me, those are very important. To me, that's kind of the definition of the resilience aspect of that. And it just, it definitely needs to be part of the cultural DNA of the organization because, you know, we can implement all the tools in the world. We can implement all of the software in the world that can help us become more resilient from the cybersecurity perspective. But if the users are not bought in, if your employees are not bought into the whole aspect on how to use that and what are the potential risks, I think that just, it, it, it creates a lot more room for error from that standpoint. So those are just some of my thoughts when it comes to resilience and especially in the cybersecurity space. Yeah, I agree with you. It has to be a cultural thing. It has to be a people thing. We keep hearing it's a stat that it may be overused or become a cliche stat, but 80 or 90% of the attacks are due to human error, right? So if you're able to kind of mitigate that large portion of the risk, then you can have a really more resilient, or how can I say this, but you know, more resilient organization, right? Yeah. So yeah, I agree with you hundred percent on that. And again, sometimes we overlook the easy stuff. Like we really overlook the easy stuff, which is just educating the users, getting them familiar with what an attack could potentially look like and just making people more vigilant, right? So definitely on board with that. And that's one of the things that it's, it's in the DNA of the enterprise. It should be anyway. And, and unfortunately, what I'm seeing on my side is it becomes DNA, DNA, part of the DNA only after something really bad happens. Right. Which is right. late, which is late, right? Right. So, okay. Now I like that answer. I had a couple of questions. I'm going to shift them around here because you mentioned cyber resilience. And now we hear a lot about digital transformation. And it's been a term that's been obviously been used for the last decade, right? Or even the last 20 years. But we're in this constant flux, right? So what does digital transformation mean to you, given you're a CIO today in 2022? What does that mean to you? Yeah, and that's a great question and so relevant to the current times, especially in the current market conditions with everything that we're dealing with, especially on our technology side where executives on the business side and the investors and things like that, everyone wants digital transformation. Everyone wants for that to occur. But not to sound like a broken record, but from the standpoint and that kind of ties to what I briefly talked about from a resilience standpoint, digital transformation is all about people transformation. It definitely starts with the buy-in of organizations, you know, at every level within the company, because we can implement all of the systems in the world. But if our internal users or external stakeholders, 
if they're not bought into why at the end of the day we're doing this, what is the ultimate benefit that we're trying to achieve? What is that state of, you know, just overall environment that we're trying to operate in? And why are we taking on such initiative to transform ourselves digitally in this specific context? I think that's a lot of potential room for error where executives fall into that trap that when it comes to digital transformation, the very first step is to jump into straight, you know, not analyzing or planning, but into actual building where you want, you know, as a human nature, we want to jump in and try to identify potential, the software or the technology stack that we want to choose or the implementation partners that we want to work together with. But taking a step back a little bit and really understanding the objectives and focus more on the people transformation side. I think to me, that's a lot more important than going through the actual quote unquote digital transformation. So those are just some of the thoughts that really tie together from a standpoint of successful digital transformations that I've been part of. And those are some of the ingredients that I had seen that really played an integral part in that. Okay. Interesting. So it's more of a people transformation versus digital transformation. You can't have digital if the people are not bought in. Exactly. exactly. I hear that. That's I hear that. Very, very interesting. Okay. I like that answer. So obviously given your role and you've done this several times before, as you mentioned, there's obviously a spark, something that kicks off a digital transformation. Now, who needs to sponsor that? And I think you touched a little bit on it earlier, but what leads to that digital transformation? How does a company get started? Like there's a lot of companies that we deal with who are traditional, you know, paper heavy, backend heavy, process heavy. What's that spark that says, yes, we want to transform digitally. You know, what does a company do to get started? Yeah, that's a great question. And it ties back to the points I was making around building and fostering the culture of innovation, where you as an executive team or as an executive, you have to walk the walk where you're not just, you know, drafting fancy mission statements on the website and talk about all the great values that we're all about. It's more around what are some of the principles that we have to adhere to when it comes to building the culture of innovation at every single level of the company. Where, you know, when we think of innovation, we always think of something grandiose. We think of something, you know, transformation-wise. Those are usually the synonyms that come to mind. But innovation usually comes in all shapes of form where it could be just a simple, you know, improvement to an internal process which can definitely be a spark to a potential digital transformation where you identify little areas for improvement and they need to tie together to something that's a lot bigger at stake. And how does that tie to the overall organizational mission for us as a company? So those are just some of the things that really could potentially be a trigger when it comes to creating those opportunities for transformation and really foster that environment for experimentation, continuous innovation. And that really ties together together back to just the overall culture as an organization that we continuously transform ourselves. We continuously transform our systems. We continuously transform our processes. So those are some of the thoughts that I have when it comes to just some of the triggers that can potentially lead to those transformation initiatives. Good. Good. Interesting. Yeah. And I see how you, how you bring it back to the people and then the responsibility factor. I like that. People still need to play an important role and they need to drive the, the, the awareness and they need to be the champions of change. So I appreciate that. And I see it and hear it often. So as an IT executive, obviously, as you are, how do IT managers, how do IT executives prepare for the tech changes that are, we say around the corner, but they're constantly around the corner. So how do you keep yourself sharp and how do you 
because what I've seen in the past is sometimes you go through a transformation and the delay of transformation sometimes ends up, you know, putting you behind in the next step. So how do you keep yourself fresh and how do you feel that you're not leaving stuff on the table when you go into this, the tech changes or transformation that we talk about? I love that question because it's definitely at the top of my mind, you know, all the time as a technology executive, how do I, I either, you know, disrupt the industry myself or I'm going to be disrupted. And it's something at the end of the day that I, I at least make a conscious priority to pay a lot of attention to how do we stay ahead of the curve? You know, everyone and everything has an expiration date. And in terms of research and being able to stay ahead of some of the trends that we're all observing, yes, that's important. But for me, the biggest, biggest source to be able to stay ahead of the curve, to really understand what are the things that are going on in my industry or going on, at least in my sector, is networking and really surrounding myself with individuals that possess different strengths that I'm, you know, maybe I'm missing as an executive or they are operating in different environments or the different industries, but still in technology. So I invest heavily into spending a lot of time with peers in my industry. I'm part of a lot of the groups, executive committees, and other C-level technology executives where we spend a significant amount of our time sharing some of the best practices, sharing some of the case studies, especially those that are not successful, because it's very easy to talk about some of the things that we had accomplished and here's all of the great things that we've achieved. But when it comes to failures, I don't necessarily view those as failures, view those as opportunities to learn. So being able to surround yourself with people like that and create a safe environment to be able to share those lessons learned, to me, that's a great source of information and inspiration to be able to identify those trends to identify those opportunities, to innovate, continuously transform yourself and look for opportunities to disrupt. I like what you said. You're either disrupting or being disrupted earlier. I like that. Yeah. So uh, it's good. And in the words of the famous entertainer from your neck of the woods, a pit bull, you never lose, you learn. <laughs> right, so, right, uh, right. So I, <laughs> I like, like that. that. <laughs> yeah. You know what? I mean, if you can learn from a situation where you may not have succeeded and, you know, take from it and then move on. And I think that's what life is all about. So it's about experiences and making things better the next time around. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. You know, having fear to fail, basically, again, I'm using cliches here, but you miss a hundred percent of the shots you never take. Right. Yeah. So exactly. Uh, exactly. And that's kind of what we also, I try to instill that as part of our culture, even at the startup levels. Because there's no such thing as bad news. It's <laughs> either great news or the opportunities to learn. Exactly. So those are just some of the mental models that really help. Awesome. I like that. I'm going to switch gears a little bit. Just talk a little bit more about security because obviously that's probably top of mind for you. Ransomware attacks are obviously continuously on the rise. It's no secret. Would you say that that's probably the most worrisome thing in, when it comes to thinking about security? What keeps you up at night? obviously besides everything else in your job, but when it comes to security and security perimeter in your organization, what's the top of mind for you right now? Yeah, 100%, you'll nail it on the head with the ransomware attacks and us handling financial information. That adds another layer of urgency, at least for me, because we handling the payroll information, we basically are in charge of making sure that people get paid on time, people get paid accurate amounts, and proper taxes are being deducted and all of the compliance aspects of that. So that's at the top of the list. It's uh, absolutely that's something that keeps all of us at night. And with everything that's going on in the world these days, with the invasion in Ukraine and all of the cyber attacks that we read about in the news on daily basis, 
basis. Those are some of the things that definitely worry me as a technology lead within my organization. But for me, the most important aspect of that is how do we essentially put ourselves ahead of the curve? We're not so reactive in nature, but more proactive. And to be able to identify weaker areas within our organization, whether that's an area within the code or it's an area within the actual operations where we need to invest more, whether that's training, security patches or constant updates to the deployments, Things like that are always at the top of the mind. And we, as a company, as a startup, that's the beauty of a startup where we can move a lot quicker. We can be a lot more nimble. But at the same time, we want to lay the right foundation because when we grow and when we become enterprise level, those things that are going to matter a lot because we're not going to be able to move as quickly as we were when we were a startup. But if we're ready the right foundation in terms of identifying the proper documentation on policies and procedures and what are some of the things that we need to do Proactively, that's the keyword that we love to highlight so that, as you said earlier, you know, the cybersecurity becomes a top priority when something actually bad happens. So we definitely realize that we definitely respect that and we try to stay as proactive as possible to minimize the risk. Got it. And I like what you're saying about being nimble because as a small organization, startup, obviously you want to be nimble. And I like what you said about building a path to being enterprise level, but you also want to have something that scales early on, because once you grow and you're growing rapidly, if you don't have a foundation that can scale, you find yourself having to redo a lot of that work and effort. And I see sometimes it happens where scale can happen overnight in some organizations where they just blow up and then they have to rework a lot of the stuff and then leaves a lot of risk. You know, there's a, it opens up for many risk issues and they just have to, a lot of effort duplication. You're obviously addressing that early on, which is great to see in here. So congrats on that again. I had another question about ransomware attacks, and this is more of a bigger question that may not impact you directly, but given your expertise, I wanted to throw it out there. You said something important about smaller enterprises being nimble and can react quicker and you want to be proactive. But we have a lot of organizations in the US or in Canada here in North America and across the world for that matter that are larger in nature that don't operate as quick or can't be nimble, as you mentioned. And obviously they host a lot of critical infrastructure and these critical infrastructures, utility organizations and other businesses, and I don't want to be specific because I don't want to point anyone out, but there's a lot of critical infrastructure out there that has a lot of operational technology embedded in its day-to-day -day. and now it's bleeding in, into the IT and that becomes a huge target for ransomware attacks. Uh, do you have any thoughts about that? Is that something that you think about in your day-to-day -day or uh, what have you done in the past to kind of mitigate some of that? Just your thoughts on ransomware attacks specifically on critical infrastructure. Yeah, 100%. Early in my career, when I spent my time in enterprise, especially in the corporate sector, I definitely saw how complex that is, especially when you have so many different systems integrated, which definitely opens up a lot more opportunity for risk because compatibility becomes the number one priority at that stage in terms of being able to integrate, especially if you're growing through acquisitions and mergers and things like that, you have to take into account the opportunities to be able to effectively integrate external systems with something that's already in place. So those things become of utmost importance. And as an organization, the, the technology is no longer a service provider within the organization. Technology is, is a strategic partner. So the C-level executives in technology, whether you CTO, SVP of technology or CIO, it's definitely you have a seat at the table as part of the strategy to be able to in, identify investment opportunities to 
put not only the financial and the budget, but also the resources to partner with human resources or just the overall operations and create that sense of urgency early on so that as you and I kind of had this vibe of the overall conversation to be essentially very proactive and focus also on the people aspect of the cybersecurity. It's oftentimes overlooked because it's very easy to point out and say, this is the flaw in the security patch or the code that you had deployed. But at the end of the day, there's a lot, a lot more complex problems at the root cause of that, where I've seen an enterprise of companies of various size Typically, that involves some type of user behavior where the not proper training has been executed or not proper policies and checks in the process have been implemented. So those are just some of the things and thoughts that I have in my head when it comes to just the overall ransomware attacks, how to prevent an organization of various size. Like that answer, John. I'm going to go back and replay it because you said a lot of good stuff in there. <laughs> Appreciate that, John. Very good answer. Okay. I actually have one more question, which is more of a philosophical or a hypothetical question. Maybe you can answer, maybe you can't, but you know, obviously you're happy where you are. I don't want to, I don't want to say anything, but if you ended up getting acquired for a gazillion dollars or something really good happened, and now you had to keep the same role, but you were going to transplant yourself into a new company as a CIO. What would you look for in that company for you to go there? What's important for you as a CIO outside of where you are today? That's an easy answer for me because I spend a lot of time thinking about that. And at the end of the day, it's really to be in a position to help others because I've had a lot of people that helped me along the journey and continuously they do. I have a lot of mentors. I have a lot of people that kind of created that springboard for me to be able to go to the next level where I wanted to be. So really at this stage of my career, it's really to be able to pay, you know, paid back at the end of the day to some of the people that are coming up the ranks. So trying to get maybe break into in technology in general, we definitely need a lot more diversity in technology, whether that's gender, racial, or whatever the other orientation yeah, I is. Agree. I think we definitely need a lot of that. So as a technology executive, having been on different sides of the equation, for me, if I was to take on another opportunity is an environment where, where I can be as effective and value add as possible to be able to help others to get to that next level, oh. to grow as an individual, to grow as a professional when it comes to technology space. Amazing answer, Jan. Lucky organization to have Jan inside there leading, <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> it's that's so good. easy, you took care. No, well, listen, I mean, it, it's obvious that you're people first and you know what, you can't have an organization without good people. So that's important. I like how you, you've methodically thought out what you're doing and what you're going to be doing. So, which is great. That's important as a leader, right? Because you have so many things going on that you want to be able to prioritize, compartmentalize certain things, and then kind mm -hmm. of execute them, right? With the right team. So, which is great. Yep. Jan, I don't have any more questions for you specifically because you've given me a lot to chew on. Frankly, I'm going to replay some of those answers because I want to learn from them. Do you have any questions from... Well, obviously, you know, you being a thought leader in cybersecurity space, just want to get your two cents on some of the trends that really excite you these days. What are some of the things that you personally are very passionate about? Yeah, well, that's actually a good question. So for myself and my colleagues, it's really data protection and protection from the onset of how the data is handled in, within the organization and the privacy that goes along with it, because data right now means a lot and it's very valuable. And I think we've taken it for granted in terms of what it can do for an organization, how we can help them evolve, and become better, how to use it, you know, in an analytical situation to solve problems. 
So there's that aspect of the data. There's the aspect of the privacy of the data. So when you're working with clients, with suppliers, you want to make sure that you're hosting and housing that data and manipulating that data in a way that doesn't get compromised, because I think that's very important. We deal with a lot of cyber insurance uh, conversations or situations, and the data management conversation or the data management topic comes to play often. So you want to make sure that you're you're highly vigilant when it comes to manipulating data, whether it's in a small form, large form, structured or unstructured, you want to make sure that you're handling with a white glove. And I can't state that enough as being an important aspect of it. So again, data protection, data privacy for me is top of mind. And it's all part of the whole protecting the enterprise because ultimately, you know, the data is probably the most valuable thing outside of your people, of course you know, within the enterprise. So that's, that's for me has become top of mind and it's become top of mind the last couple of years, but now it resonates more when you're talking to clients and customers and suppliers. So that's my two cents. And if I can say anyone to your point earlier, if there's anybody in IT who's looking to get into the game or get into IT, I think that's an area where we're going to need more talent for sure. A lot more talent in that space. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's probably one of the areas that have, have probably has negative unemployment <laughs> when it comes to cybersecurity and data management. I think you nailed it on the head. Yeah, yeah. Well, John, I promised that we were going to make this efficient and fun. And I think we've achieved both those objectives. So I thank you very much for taking the time today. We're definitely going to you know, enjoy putting this up on the podcast for all our viewers and listeners. I hope to stay in touch. Great individual. When I'm in the 305 or in the South Florida area, I give you a call, grab a coffee or something. Absolutely, Luigi. And I really appreciate the opportunity. I'm definitely going to stay in touch and looking Absolutely. forward to our next conversation. All right, Jan. Thank you very much. Have yourself a good afternoon. Thanks so much. Take care. Okay, bye-bye. Thank you for listening to 10 Questions to Cyber Resilience, brought to you by Assurance IT. Assurance IT is in the cybersecurity space, specializing in data protection and compliance. Since 2011, they primarily help mid-sized enterprises in Canada. If you have questions about protecting your data, reach out to us directly at info at assuranceit.ca or visit assuranceit.ca.